Warning, some things in our podcast may not be suitable for everyone. We talk about cults and murders, and due to the nature of our podcast, may use harsh language at times. Viewer's discretion is advised. And also, we can't pronounce anything. Hi, everyone. We're back with the second round of Doomsday. And I know everybody wants to know how this goes. We left you guys on the edge of your seats last time. And we're really sorry, but we promise it's worth the wait. So without further ado, this is Om Shinriko Doomsday, Part 2. Last week we discussed that a new dogma for Om Shinriko called for Armageddon. That instead of saving as many people as possible, Armageddon was possible and necessary for human relief. So, in order to make a worldwide Doomsday event happen, the group needed a few things. First, they needed specific members from specific parts of the government. They started to collect members of the government to help protect them. Overall, they had bureaucrats from education, communication, justice, construction, transportation, and regional judges. They also collected broadcasters and journalists, including a program director for a national broadcasting agency. Obviously, when you have control of the news, you get control of the narrative. Like previously mentioned, he also had over 100 scientific experts who worked for big-name companies like IBM and Toshiba. Some would leave their companies to work for Asahara, but others would remain to bring money to the cult. Because obviously the cult needed money to, to fund their many, many scientific explorations. Like their electrode caps? Yeah, exactly. And if you guys are wondering what they look like, on our Instagram, cults and crime pod, we do have a picture of Asahara in one, so go ahead and check that out. So he needed one last piece for his cult. They needed the military. They would end up recruiting over 40 members of the Japanese Defense Force and 60 veterans to their cause. The ones that were in active military service worked hard to recruit other members. One of the most important military members who was a, was a high-ranking helicopter unit who could leak reams of classified information for the cult. Asahara would stop at nothing to get what he wanted and that included murder. After the loss of the election, in 1990, members began to lash out. Cult members put custom stray devices to the back of three trucks and attempted to spray botulinum toxin, a deadly toxin that prevents neurotransmitters to release and cause paralysis and respiratory failure. Thankfully, this was unsuccessful because they could not produce that toxin. At the same time, they also started a large wiretapping campaign. They would obtain company uniforms for their comb company and ID badges, then go to the homes of their targets. Um, a lot of the time this was for blackmail so they can get money from the rich to fund their many, many, many projects. And other times, it was to get information on their enemies or to keep an eye out on their own members. With the toxins not working, Asahara hatched a new plan. In 1993, he and 40 other cult members entered Zara, Africa. They used the guise of humanitarianism, but their real purpose was to gather Ebola. Ebola? This is the Ebola virus that you guys are all probably thinking of, but this happened long, be long before the events in the United States. Luckily, this also appeared to be a failure for the cult, because they never used Ebola in any of their attacks. So, when Plan B doesn't work, why not revert back to Plan A? And what was Plan A again? The... Mm, the Botulimin? Oh yes, Old Faithful. In June 1993, the cult members tried once again to use a spray device attached to a car to spread Botulimin toxin. They did this attack at the site of Prince Naruhuto's wedding. But once again, Plan A failed. 
they still didn't have what they needed to make the toxin lethal. So the purpose of this attack was to blame it on the United States, but the cult was not good at hiding their tracks, and we were found out very quickly. And also, the attempts failed because they were using the wrong strain and in too small of qualities to actually do any harm. There was also reports of hose clogging. So, didn't you say there were, he had like over a hundred scientists working underneath him? How could he have such fatal mistakes? Not that I want them to succeed or anything, but, you know, hire a new scientist. Well, think about it this way. Scientists have been trying to cure the common cold, cancer for how many years? Or even, you know, making a viruses so they can make, um... Yeah. Vaccines? Yeah. Or even scientists who work really hard to develop vaccines. They work for years and years and years before they get something that's viable. So you can be the smartest person in the world with the best equipment, but sometimes it's trial and error. So now they're on to Plan C. This was also in June 1993. They attempted to spray twice the vaccine amount of, of Buculus artesis. This also didn't work because that's just not how vaccines work. Vaccines? Yep. You know what a vaccine is, right, Jamie? Uh-huh. Vaccines are to prevent illness. Yep. Okay. Nicole. I'm very confused that's, now. They sprayed double the amount of vaccine. Okay, so you know how vaccine is a very small part of, like, the virus? Yeah, it's a dead... It's dead. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they sprayed double the amount, being like, who cares if it's dead? We're spraying double the amount. It's going to get people sick. Did not get people sick. All right, and I'm going to say this one more time. What kind of scientist did he hire? Because I did one semester of anatomy and one semester of physiology, and I know that that's not going to work. Once again, like, it was a lot of trial and error, and also sometimes it wasn't exactly a, you know, cult-approved attack. You know, a lot of times when they have the more sophisticated equipment, it is, but sometimes they say, hey, we want these people dead or we want to attack in this area, and it's kind of your job as a cult member to figure it out. Okay, well, he needs to hire a new guy. Uh, he definitely does. Well, no, he doesn't. He needs to fail it. Late 1993 and early 1994, they attempted to murder a rival religious leader with a nerve gas called Sarin. The first attempt failed because of a problem with the remote control helicopter. The second was for hose clogging. Honestly, him and those clogged hoses. It's apparently a really big problem when you're trying to distribute nerve agents. Who would have thunk it? We are now an educational podcast. Until May 1994, they had not been successful in even injuring, in even injuring one of their targets. That was until Taro Takamoto. He was an attorney that stroke. He was an attorney working to help arm and Rico victims. He worked hard to help patients get their children away from the cult's clutches. This is a direct quote from him. People are vulnerable, and everyone is at danger of falling under these influences. Most of these Aum children were honest, hardworking people who grew up not knowing that this kind of evil exists in the world. Even though he was an attorney, he worked one-on-one -on -one counseling with the victims, gaining their trust and introducing them back into the free will and thought. So one of the things that he did and i discussed this previously on the podcast is people would see a picture of asahara levitating on the above the ground and that would make people be like oh he is enlightened he is a religious leader he knows what he's talking about all this stuff is real so he'd get this rapport with these people and then he'd show them a, a picture of him you know cross-legged hovering in the hovering 
that was a way of being like, look, it's fake. I can tell you exactly how I faked this photo. You know, he's not special. He's just a con artist. So after the first few attacks, he moved his family into hiding and took out a large life insurance plan on himself to help his family survive in case he was killed by any of the cult's attacks. Well, that's really sad. Unfortunately, the cult did end up releasing Sauron into the ventilation system of his car. This caused narrowing vision and other symptoms and other symptoms of nerve agent exposure. Luckily though, Taro Takamoto survived the attack and continues to work with victim of the cult today. He believes that only one person should be blamed for the actions of the cult, and that's Asahara. Another quote from him, cult members no longer know the difference between right and wrong. It's the same with the Islamic State militants. They think they are doing the right thing by head they think they're doing the right thing by beheading people. Um members could equally commit murders because of their strong religious beliefs. This is what makes them extremely dangerous. Unfortunately, because this attack was somewhat successful, this encouraged the cult to go really into Sarin as a nerve agent to use attacks. Okay, so now we're going to go just a really quick chronological order of some of Am Shinriko's activities. It's really long, so I'm not going to go into a ton of detail with all the attacks, but just to give you an idea of just how resourceful they were with their attacks. June 1994, Am Shinriku released the nerve agent Sarin into a residential neighborhood in Matsumoto, Japan with a van equipped with a heating pot and a fan. Seven fatalities, 144 confirmed serious injuries, and 126 more complained of symptoms. September 1st, 1994, 231 people inhibited seven towns unknown in Japan were stricken with skin and eye irritation. All the injuries were accompanied by complaints of foul odor that smelled like rotten eggs. This should remind a lot of the viewers of the last quote I ended with the podcast with about the person complaining about the dead smell and him saying it's Chanel number 5. 20th of September 1994, a journalist was sleeping in her apartment and they released photogenic gas through her mail slot. The journalist had accused Om of having kidnapped a man. One casualty, unfortunately, she did not survive. So I'm skipping a few, but um, fall 1994, so remember the attorney that we talked about earlier? Om members attempted to kill him by squirting a mixture of hair oil and ZX onto his keyhole. Um, the 12th of December 1994, Om Shinriko members posed as joggers and attacked men on the street by spraying him with with VX and injecting it into his head or neck. Is this just some random guy? Um, he was alleged to be spying on the cult, but he could have just been someone who was just there. They tested bioagents on their own cult members. They tried to kill the leaders of a separate religious group. They illegally purchased gas masks and other military equipment from a US-based surplus company. Way to go, United States. So at this point, you guys are probably wondering where they got the money and equipment to cause all these acts because that is just a ton of mayhem. As I already mentioned, the people following Asahara were, giving, were given large amounts of money just to be near him. He had judges, officers, and government officials giving him donations, and these were all tracks free due to his religious status. The cult, also to cut down on costs, produced many of their own weapons of mass destruction. 
They had automated plant making sarin and also produced mustard gas and other chemical agents meant for dispersion. They also produced Russian machine guns and explosives, all in the name of Doomsday. While these all seemed to be pretty normal weapons for cults, they also produced weapons that appeared to be off the pages from one of the scientific magazines they used for their recruitment. The cult claimed to be developing a pulse cannon that would concentrate microwave beams into a superheated ray. They claimed to be copying an American design for this device. The cult claimed America used this weapon in the Gulf War and used it to explain many conspiracy theories. They also used this weapon as a recruitment tool and a way to keep members in the society. They said that only the most devoted members would survive the weapon since they could leave their bodies. Do you guys remember the ritual I talked about last episode where they would bathe in 50 degrees Celsius water? Yeah, I remember that. That ritual was directly related to this beam. Asahara had power and a following but still wanted more. He wanted control of the government, but after losing the election, he had to consider other options. In 1994, Am Shinrigo created its own government, one where Asahara wouldn't need to apply to be leader because he was already their savior. So this wasn't just some we say we're a government thing. They had a constitution that they had a constitution that required mandatory military service for all their people. And as much as Asahara claimed to hate the Japanese government, he based many of ideas and policies on the Japanese government. This would include having 24 ministries. They called this government Om Supreme Truth, and Asahara got a new title as the Holy Monk Emperor. On January 17, 1995, Asahara had been predicting doomsday life events, and finally he had something to show for his predictions. It measured, a, it measured 6.9 on the movement magnitude scale, and had a maximum intensity of 7 on the JMA seismic intensity scale and it killed over 400 people and damaged over 400,000 buildings. One in five buildings in the Worth areas were completely destroyed. The damage was widespread and caused fires on top of the already devastated communities. Pictures of this disaster look very much like the apocalypse that Asahara was predicting. So don't worry because Asahara may have thought this was doomsday, but his, his lead scientist had other claims. At a press conference, he claimed, there is a strong possibility that the Kobe earthquake was activated by electromagnetic power or some other device that exerts energy onto the ground. This wasn't his idea. This was actually something that Nikola Tesla had theorized about, but it's never been proven. Really? Yeah. In the end, this would just be another conspiracy theory that the cult would be known for. This event would end up shoring up faith in the cult. On March 20th, 1995, the cult got a warning that the Japanese government would be doing a raid on their Mount Fuji headquarters. They decided to host an attack to divert attention away from the cult. Five cult members left their headquarters with a singular goal in mind. The first was Dr. Iyo Hadashi. The second was Yasu Hadashi, who would earn the nickname Killer Hadashi. Third was Kenshi Hiro. And next was Matsumoto Yokomara. And lastly was Turo Toyoda. The cult members would join rush hour traffic and go into five separate trains. At 5.45 a.m., the cult members held onto umbrellas and placed packages covered in newspaper on the ground. As they neared their stop, just before the doors opened, they punctured the packages with their umbrellas and disappeared into the crowd. By 8.10, the cultists were on the street and were picked up by their getaway drivers shortly after. They would not have to suffer from the repercussions of the poison they had just unleashed on the unwitting passengers. 
They had just released Sara and Gus on the early morning commuter crowd. Saren is a nerve agent. Even one drop on the skin can cause sweating and muscle twitching. Common symptoms include vomiting, nausea, coughing, and headaches. In large amounts, loss of consciousness, convulsions, paralysis, and respiratory failure. In large amounts, loss of consciousness, convulsions, paralysis, and respiratory failure. And they did release a large amount into the passengers of the train. Saren is invisible to the naked eye, and within minutes, the fume would take over the cabs of the train, choking passengers with its fumes. According to Wired, on one train, a man kicked the offensive package onto the platform when the doors opened, but not before two commuters collapsed onto the ground, their bodies shuddering with spasms. Incredibly, the train did not stop, but pulled out a minute later, being on time. It would make two more stops until the growing panic inside the car released critical mass. Passengers stumbled from the train, gagging and vomiting, clutching handkerchiefs across their faces, gasping for breath. Five collapsed on the platform, foaming at the mouth. Three others lay inside the car, their bodies jerking violently. As commuters staggered towards the exit with pinhole vision and crashing headaches, an announcement echoed across the station, evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. Luckily, only 12 would be killed in this attack, but would have over 5,000 people affected. One woman had to have both of her eyes surgically removed after the chemical fused to her contacts to her eyes. And mind you, this was early morning commuter traffic. This had everyone from women, children, elderly, people just going to school, people going to their jobs. These were just everyday people. One of the guys who perpetrated the attack, he, he ended up writing a book and he wrote about how he saw a little girl on the platform and he just kept thinking, don't go on this train, you'll die. Don't go on this train, you'll die. Yeah, but it didn't stop him from releasing those neurotoxins. No, no, it did not. No, oh, that's disgusting. That's so horrible. This attack would be awful for the Japanese public. If you can't trust the Japanese train system, you know, public transportation, how are they supposed to get from work? It caused people to be afraid to go to school, you know, go to your job, travel to see a friend because you're stuck in this small tube and these small carts, you know, flying through. You don't have control. You can't open a window and throw something out. If you get attacked in there, you're stuck until the next stop. Oh my God, that's horrible. I, you know, it's like, I would never have thought of that. It's something that most people wouldn't think about because you expect the government to have your back. If they're using public transportation, you expect there's a certain amount of you know, government safety in place. But how are you supposed to protect against people bringing packages on a train and poisoning everyone? Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's just, it's just another boogeyman to keep in the back of your mind. The attack did nothing to stop the government raids on the headquarters. In a week, the attack that shook Japan to the core, the police launched a full-scale raid on their organization. What they found shed light on how deep the calls and tensions ran. They found explosives, more chemical weapons, a military helicopter, money, biological agents including anthrax and Ebola cultures. They also stockpiled enough sarin to kill 4 million people. The police would end up arresting 140 cult members and Asahara would go into hiding as they uncovered labs dedicated to making LSD and a crude form of true serum, as well as rows and rows of prisoners. You said rows and rows of prisoners? Yeah. In their in one of their facilities, they had prisoners where it would be maybe cult members that wanted to leave, or in their eyes, enemies of the cult that they would kidnap. And nobody was looking for these people? Well, people were making reports, just not much was being done about it. You know, obviously they knew the cult was bad, but... No one knew it was this bad. Oh my gosh, wow. 
you know, they did, they were really well connected as well. They had all these people in high up positions, part of the cult. They had money. They had anonymity. Asahara would be found hiding in the walls of one of his cult buildings known as Sixthethan. On the same day, the cult mailed a package containing a bomb. They mailed its package to the governor of Tokyo. The bomb would end up blowing off several of his fingers. Asahara's trial would take place over several years. He was charged with 23 counts of murder and 16 other offenses. Asahara claimed he had no knowledge of the attacks and the members of his church did so without his knowledge or permission. I feel like that's what they always say. Oh, it's exactly what they always say. Well, people just love me so much they just went off the whales. I had no clue. But it's your it's your quote quote minister of health and your quote quote minister of education. He had his favorite people do the sarin attack on the subway. Like, um, do you remember the electro doctor we talked about earlier last episode? Yes. He was a part of the attack. Hadashi is Dr. Hadashi. I think he was the one who saw the child and was like, oh, please leave, please leave. Oh, what a saint. Oh, yeah, you know, you had a momentary thought of, oh, I don't want to kill this child before going through with it and maybe killing the child. I don't know the, I don't know the whereabouts of that exact child, but, you know, he was at least injured. Um, Asahara would be found guilty of 13 charges on February 27, 2004, and was sentenced to death by hanging. Yay. Asahara, not one to take responsibility for his actions, claimed he was mentally unfit. During the subsequent retrial, he spent his time muttering to himself or being completely silent. So was he just trying to appear crazy? Oh, that's exactly what he's doing. You know, he thought he was smarter than everyone else in the court. But on his time outside of the court, he would converse normally, and people saw this and told the judge about it. And the judge automatically threw out his appeal. Uh-huh. Asahara was executed by hanging on July 6, 2018 at the Tokyo Detention House 23 years after the sarin gas attacks, along with six other cult members. According to the Japan Times, the hanging of Asahara has in some ways closed the curtain on the shocking crimes and dramatic events staged by Aum, but also leaves several critical questions unanswered. Because even during the trial, Asahara never explained the actual motivations for his crimes. Okay, Nicole, so how did you like Om Shinriko? Person? I hated him. No, the case. Well, it's definitely a wild case. Like, there, it just seems like he got away with a lot. It took a surprisingly long time for the Japanese government to do anything about it. And I think that was, you know, no in small part to the fact that the cult did have people in those high-ranking positions. Yeah, conspiracy theories and all that. <laughs> Yeah, but when you're sitting there and you're putting out advertisements and you're making animes and you're killing people and kidnapping people and people know that you're killing and kidnapping people and for some reason the government's not really doing much, it doesn't give a lot of face to the people watching these things happen. No, it does not at all. How could you feel safe if your government's not going to protect you? See, it's hard because this was so long ago that I and I don't know enough about the Japanese government or how their police force works that I it would really be speculation on my point about, you know, why exactly and what policies exactly would cause this to be happening. Jamie, are you saying that we're speculating wildly right now? Oh, you know what? I think we are. I'm <laughs> trying to compare. Thing. That is literally <laughs> the only thing we know how to do. But okay. 
So, like, to compare this to what was going on in the American police force at the time is that you had a lot more, as a police officer, you had a lot more freedom on what you were going to pursue and what you weren't going to pursue. So maybe your average street cop who was getting, you know, there was getting these reports, you know, getting these reports of, like, foul smells, you know, missing people. Maybe it was just a little over your head to have to go after an entire organization. Yeah, and I could definitely understand that. Yeah. And then once it did go up the line, the people who eventually it would get to would be part of the call and be like, well, we're not going to pursue that. It's not worth our time. Yeah, but obviously the Japanese government did eventually do that because they had planned the raid before the Sarin attack. Overall, I think it's a really interesting organization just because it had so much publicity. Well, yeah, he was pretty famous. <laughs> well, you don't make your own cartoon about yourself without being famous, I guess, and having a big ego. No, you don't. It does strike me how many of these, like, many of these organizations, these cults, have so many features of their same. Like, he wasn't born Amshin, like, he was not born Asahara. He actually did end up changing his name when he became, you know, this religious leader. Well, other than the Vampire King of Fresno, didn't everybody change their name? Um, I know the Rajnishis, he changed his name. The Moonies, they ch- he changed his name. You know, I think, yeah, maybe the Westons, I don't think he ever did. So that's something that a lot of religious leaders do. So they have these names that mean things like sunlight and redemption. But like, it's um, that and also most of them have some sort of sexual abuse. There's some reports of sexual abuse within the organization. And I think that's a lot of to do with like power control. Yeah, if you have that control over people, why not exercise it? Because you obviously don't care about them as people and you don't feel guilt because if you did, you wouldn't be doing the things that these people do to them. Well, yeah, there's narcissistic personality for sure in there and superiority complex. But anyways, Jamie, let's talk about what we're going to do next week. (laughs) Oh, but before we do, we are going to end up, we are going to play you guys a promo for three spooky girls. (laughs) All right. Yes, guys. So we've actually been following their Instagram and listening to their podcast since we started podcasting. So with further ado, here's a short clip about three spooked girls. Hey guys, my name is Tara. And my name is Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast, Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal. Or murder. Join us every Monday as we tell our listeners about a new spooky tale or true crime case. We'll have a special drink recipe each episode picked out by me for you to enjoy while we scare the hell out of you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever the hell else you listen to podcasts. Come hang out with us and get your spooky on. We all know that I went on a little trip to Florida, uh, what, like two, three weeks ago, right, Jamie? I think by the time this podcast is going to air, maybe a month ago. All right, about a month ago. And while we were there, we did a tour through the Everglades, which is about 1.5 million acres of Wetland National Park. And while I was there, I started thinking, of course, has anybody ever been murdered here? You know, as one totally normal person does. As a normal person does. So I started to researching. And I found someone who made my heartstrings pull a little bit. And that's why next week we're going to cover the murder of Jeanette Smith. Okay, guys, that's all we have for this week. But tune in next week for Jeanette's.